Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Deal Maker Show. So today we have a very, very powerful founder. Uh, I think that she is really going to be uh, teaching a thing or two about entrepreneurship. I mean, her journey is is really remarkable, but I think that I don't want to make anyone wait longer. So without further ado, let's welcome our guest today, Julia Hu. Welcome to the show. Hey, Alejandro. Great to be here. So originally born in LA. So how was life growing up there? It was good. I um, I came from uh, the valley, the original valley where Valley Girls were named, uh, and it was uh, it was a fun time. My dad was a, a first generation immigrant from China, um, and it was fun. And I know that uh, very early on, you were uh, experiencing this this health. Uh, type of uh, challenges that it even prompted your dad to quit his day job. So, so tell us what happened here. Oh yeah, yeah. So when I was growing up, I used to wake up in the middle of the night every few days for as long as I could remember. Really, like when I was four years old or five years old, and it would be like my stomach was eating itself, and it would just be about seven hours of horrible pain uh, every night, and um, it would repeat, um, you know, every week or so. Uh, so, so my dad, um, uh, was taking care of me. Uh, he was a single dad and, um, you know, working, he had to quit his day job to take care of me, it took me to, um, gosh, like 30 or so specialists. No one could figure out what I had. Um, he ended up finding this great pediatrician, Dr. Peng, who, uh, became kind of like my uncle. So he and my doctor and me, every week we would get together um, and there would be all of this experimentation of, uh, you know, trying out different things to see if um, orange juice impacted my stomach or um, French fries. And it was, uh, it, it was uh, almost 12 years of that where um, uh, throughout the 12 years, consistent um, experimentation and care. He changed everything about my diet, how I managed pain, sleep, exercise, um, and uh, stress, um, and, and uh, got rid of 90% of my attacks 
And, and that's how I still manage my chronic condition today. Wow. Well, your daddy is a hero. So uh, that's amazing. So, so obviously, in, in your case, Julia, uh, how did you start getting into engineering and, and design? And, and we're going to, by the way, for the listeners too, we're going to be talking about Lark in a little bit, which is obviously a, your, your condition really you know, prompted that business. And we're going to get into that in just a little bit. But, but just so that we continue in this say, walk through memory lane, how did you get into engineering and design? Yeah, so... Uh, well, my, um, I would probably call me the worst engineer. I, I was a, a civil and environmental engineer, um, but I, I was actually much more interested in design thinking. And I went to Stanford. There was this great program called the D School, uh, all about how do you design experiences? How, how do you, um, you know, design companies? Um, and, and it was a, a fascinating field, a very interdisciplinary. And so my personality of, uh, you know, uh, liking a lot of different things and, and how to how to put it all together. So um, I, I was really excited about uh, science and math in high school. And then I went to I, I went to Stanford and I realized um, that, uh, uh, you know, I, I started as an astrophysicist and that wasn't for me. So I, I went into um, D school and environmental engineering. And this obviously prompted your first company, Emot. So tell us about your first business, your first baby. That was my first baby. So I, I loved Stanford for how um, big it made you think. So uh, it was always pushing you to change the world in some way. And so um, I, I really wanted to uh, work on environmental issues. Um, Emod was a really fun first uh, company, I realized it, it totally exploded and, and it didn't even explode. It just never really got off the ground because I was so busy refining and perfecting my business plan. And I never got the guts to really make mistakes and, and try things and, um, and, uh, you know, grow the, the company as, as I should have. So obviously, as they say, Typically, one never learns learns so much from successes, but from failures. You know, it's is really where the biggest lessons come to light. I'm sure that for you, this this uh, this first chapter was a little bit painful because it, it was obviously your first baby, and and it really is awful when when the first time around it doesn't really pan out the way that one would had hoped. But I'm sure that there were a ton of lessons for you to to learn in this journey. If you had to really compress those in in three in your three top lessons, what would you say those those were? Uh, exactly what you said. Actually, I think um, ideas are not worth that much. Um, really, it's about the the courage to implement some of them and learn. Um, so I, I think that that was a big learning for me that I, I just had to go out there and, and, and try it. Um, I think I was too scared of failure. Um, I think the, the second is, um, I remember chatting with one of my mentors and he said, look, you know, you're, you're trying to build something that's very new. Uh, you just have to go to city council and, um, you know, talk to the the council member um, to to give you um, you know this uh, this uh, validation. And I just remember thinking, like, 
how can I talk to such an important council member? You know, I, I'm still, uh, you know, pretty much in school. And, and so it was, it was really, I, I think, um, the, the second lesson is probably that, you know, you, you just have to believe that you can do, uh, and you're worthy of talking to important people, um, as you go out there and vet your ideas and, and, um, you know, try to persuade people to work with you. Um, yeah. And, and I think the third, um, is, uh, was the importance of team. Uh, I, I really, uh, learned a lot about creating, um, kind of large, uh, volunteer teams, but, but I, I didn't, um, really, you know, shoot for getting a core, uh, highly, um, engaged team. Um, and so I, I think that's, that's where I, I also failed and I, I learned a ton. It, it got me excited about the future. So, uh, obviously talking about the future, once an entrepreneur, always an entrepreneur. So the next one, clean tech open here, you were part of the founding team. So what were you guys doing there? Yeah. So I, I realized, you know, I wasn't quite ready in my mind to start another company from scratch. Um, clean tech open was this great, uh, business plan competition that I was a part of and, they asked me to join their founding team to scale this incubator that helped support and scale other clean tech companies. I loved it because it was um, a chance to work with a really smart and experienced founding team, um, you know, all in Silicon Valley. We were helping a ton of companies. So I really got to see how other companies were building their, uh, their own companies. Um, and it was fantastic. We scaled the um, uh, clean tech open from one area, you know, one region to about 30 states. Um, so that, that was a blast. And especially during the early stages, I mean, there's probably a lot of people that are listening right now that are thinking about how they should go about execution. And we've talked about execution quite a little bit already, especially with what you had learned with Emot. But now that you went, that you were with clean tech open and you were able to perhaps get that pattern recognition from, you know, working many, from working with many of those companies, were there like certain things that you saw from the ones that they would go out there and do something great from the ones that perhaps, you know, fail in their attempt? You know, it's, it's a really great question. I, I think that I, I saw entrepreneurs uh, that I really respected and they're just bold and stubborn um, headstrong folks who also work extremely hard. Um, and I think, I think that, that really struck me that they, uh, they were great listeners, but they love to debate. Um, and you know, I, I, I just saw all of these amazing people, um, you know, struggling every day, um, for something that was totally unproven. Um, and, and I, I, I really respect that. I, I, I saw that a lot when I was at Stanford, I just decided I'm just going to go and, um, you know, intern for every GSB business school, um, you know, company that I can. And so I interned for seven of them or so. Um, and it, it was a great experience to see, um, the, uh, the, the boldness of, of entrepreneurs. 
So why, obviously here you're seeing all the entrepreneurial activity happening left and right in front of your eyes. You know, at this point, obviously you already knew and, and were exposed to the ecosystem of Stanford where some of the biggest entrepreneurs have come out from. And why? Why going to MIT to continue the education? I mean, MIT, obviously, amazing school and amazing, you know, engineers coming out of MIT. But why did you choose to go to MIT? It's a great question. I think that I was really interested because I came from more of a, um, you know, engineering design background. Um, that I, I wanted to see what are the building blocks of building a company. I chose MIT because it also has a very strong culture of, um, of inventor innovation um, and engineering um, and, and, and tech. Um, I, it, it was a very different um, uh, culture than Stanford, but I, I think really helped balance you know, balance me out, uh, give me some really, um, you know, just foundational skills to building a company. So the, um, the foundational skills and then going to MIT, I mean, MIT, you ended up realizing that it was not your time to be there or not, (laughs) not your thing. So, so what was that point where here you are? I mean, you've been in Stanford, one of the best uh, universities in the U S and in the world. And now MIT, so you're combining and getting another one in the bucket, you know, that is another amazing university. At what point do you tell yourself, I think this is not the right time or place for me to be here? Yeah, Alejandro. So I, the first year was wonderful. I used it to think of ideas, meet a lot of engineers, you know, geek out on ideas I really was looking to start another company. Um, and since I'm not a technical uh, founder, really wanted to um, you know, partner with the right uh, tech folks. Um, I, I ended up um, you know, starting the ideas of Lark um, at MIT. Uh, and then I realized that there's no better place to learn than just going for it. And so um, you know, I, I didn't have much traction at all, but I decided to drop out of MIT uh, and start Lark, which is the company that I'm I'm still running and uh, trying to grow. So um, it it was it was a hard decision, but I I decided to drop out and make a make a go at it. And as they say, typically ideas, you know, it's, people think that ideas are overnight and that successes are overnight. I mean, in this case, the idea of Lark literally took decades to incubate so so why why did it take so long and why did you choose at that point that it was the right time to execute on this that's right so i had a very rare chronic condition and obviously as a business person you would say well you know julia you had an extremely rare and undiagnosed chronic condition until you know recently uh that's not going to help anyone if you if you solve that problem um what what I realized was um, the, you know, the, the, the pain of living with a chronic condition and, and also the, the benefits of having a loving dad and a, a loving doctor be my 24-7 care team. That just re- made me realize like, wow, you know, there are hundreds of millions, if not billions of people struggling with a chronic condition um, I can do something about it because I have such empathy and understanding for that 
for, for that journey. Um, and what if, you know, what if we could create an AI nurse um, uh, or a super infinitely scalable version of care that is personal yet, um, you know, yet scalable? Um, so that was that was the crazy the the crazy dream that came um, you know in, in reflecting on this is the time to go do it. So then tell us about the next steps when you said we are going to go and do it. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, um, you know, Lark, um, you know, Lark's Lark's goal and mission is um, to provide uh, infinitely scalable, compassionate personal care. And, um, you know, in the beginning, um, we, of course, we had to focus somewhere. Um, I was noticing a trend of, um, you know, more and more consumer health data, uh, but there, there wasn't quite enough. Um, and so we decided to combine this idea of um, an AI coach nurse. Uh, I was really inspired by this woman who was actually a, a, a um, researcher at Stanford. She would work with NBA stars, NFL stars, uh, Olympic stars, and she would um, use medical uh, health monitors and you know collect information about their sleep and other things, um, and then go read it and then coach them on how to improve their sleep and their stress levels so that they could manage to be the best athlete in, uh, in the world. And so uh, she was very successful with this technique. And I just said, oh, this is so great. Why don't we try and automate this? You know, can we automate an AI uh, personal coaching experience um, while taking data from the, um, the, the patient or, or the person? Um, and so um, we took a $5,000 medical uh, health monitor and a actigraphy uh, watch, and we turned it into a um, $99 uh, product that was uh, ended up being sold in all Apple stores. It was a, a, a sleep monitor, and then there was an AI uh, you know, nurse coach on top of that. At the time, it wasn't you know, speaking to you uh, like we wanted. It was more of a a personal report uh, based on the data. So that I, that's that was uh, how we started. Um, you know, Lark looks very different today, but uh, that that was the the first years. <laughs> I mean, obviously there was a transition from hardware to software. But before we even talk about that transition, let's talk about that trip that you had to do to China last minute after you received a call from Apple. <laughs> that's right. We uh, we had a great chat with um, the folks at Apple. We showed up with our, you know, clunky prototype that we had just welded and uh, soldered uh, right before uh, in the machine shop. And they said, uh, this is great. Let's, uh, let's have this in all Apple stores in nine months nationally. And, um, and I said, um, uh, uh, okay. Um, and then I, I said, sure, why not? Let's do it. And then I didn't tell them that I didn't have any of them built yet. So then I ran to China um, and worked with this great, um, uh, uh, also VC-backed um, hardware um, ODM to, to help build Lark. Uh, and so our first product landed there on, on uh, according to schedule in all Apple stores. So that was a, that was a ridiculous rush. <laughs> 
That's amazing. But at what point then? I mean, here you have you have you have this amazing uh, demand, this ridiculous rush. But uh, obviously, that didn't stop you from doing a pivot. So why why the pivot? I know. It- I call it an evolution, but everyone else says, oh, it's a big pivot. So <laughs> we, um, you know, our, our goal was how do you create uh, infinitely scalable care and make it uh, automated, right? And, and we were spending so much energy on the hardware side. Um, and, and we saw, we, we saw the Apple watch coming out. We saw all of these great hardware products coming out. And, you know, for, for us as entrepreneurs, you, you have to focus or you die. And for me, I, I always wanted to focus on our strength, which was how do we use our AI platform, our learnings to create, um, you know, a, a service that could, um, you know, help folks like a, like a 24 seven care team might. Um, and so that just took total focus. So we, we went to our board and, um, and, and said, Hey, we've, we've decided that we're going to, uh, shut down the hardware side of our business. We really, um, you know, if we don't do that, we're going to be competing against other hardware. And we want to make sure that the other hardware medical devices uh, know that we are um, we're collaborators and not competitors, and so um, you know, trust us. We're you know, it'll take us a few more years, but we're going to build an AI nurse, and it's going to help chronic patients all over the world. And um, it was really tough. I mean, gosh, the it, I, I will tell you, it's like the dark years. Um, our our investors obviously uh, uh, were disappointed, you know, we had to let go a, a bunch of the team. Um, I, I couldn't, you know, raise money for a while. Um, uh, but th- there were some moments where we had some great support uh, that allowed us today to become, you know, um, uh, a, a uh, I guess, the world's largest AI healthcare provider. So, <laughs> It's, and obviously, it's, it's a great uh, turnaround. But you know, I'm, I'm sure that there's a lot of people that are probably listening that haven't got into that product market fit, that maybe are thinking about doing a pivot. And I've gone through those pivots myself too. I mean, it's it's tough to even get out of bed. So sometimes. So what 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 do you think? You know, really help you to really keep pushing in the right direction. I really. Um you know, it was very tough. I, I was sometimes working, uh, you know, 120 hours a week uh, and burning myself out. I, my, my chronic condition uh, shows itself during uh, stress. And literally, like every year, uh, right before the launch, I, I would be sent to the ER because my body would give out. And um, so you're absolutely right, Alejandro. It's, it's a tough uh, it's it's a tough job, right? No 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 normal person, uh, if they were happy with the way things are, would uh, embark to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> um, yep. You know, I I think that um, I think that I I had this drive, but I, I remember um, a conversation with uh, Vinod Kosla when I was um, when I was pitching Lark to him and. Um, he said something that at the time I thought was so fantastical. You know, he said, 
he said, Julia, stop right there. You're talking about an incremental improvement to healthcare, but in five years, there will be no doctors. Uh, you know, it will all be uh, AI. And uh, I know he was just, uh, you know, uh, being hyperbolic, but but it it really just got me, um, just got me kind of reexamining. Like, wow, I I am trying to do something pretty crazy, right? I am trying to build an AI nurse that I hope one day will. Uh, be able not to replace a live nurse, but there's just not enough doctors and nurses in the world to take care of hundreds of millions um, and you know billions of folks who are struggling with a long-term chronic condition. And so, um, so it, it just kind of reminded me that um, you know you really have to go big or go home. Got it. I mean that makes total sense. And obviously, we're going to be talking about. The, um, the amount that you guys have raised, which is a really good follow-up to this and how that was for you. But before we get there, just so that the people listening get it, what ended up being the business model of Lark? How do you guys make money? Sure. So we, we spent around six years in R&D building uh, our, our AI nurse, which is essentially a text message-based uh, um, counseling service where uh, an, your AI nurse will look at all of your health data and then coach you to manage your chronic condition, whether that be prediabetes, diabetes, hypertension, uh, behavioral health issues of stress and anxiety, uh, smoking cessation. So really managing your chronic conditions um, with 24-7 care in real time. And so um, this this product, though, um, really, I, it took six years of R and D, and um, and we uh, we finally launched it in um, late 2016. We trained it on about a million patients, and it started to get clinical equivalents to live nurses. So we became a healthcare provider. Um, and we started treating patients for the large national health plans um, and the insurance companies, uh, as well as large employers. Um, and we, we've been able to uh, treat close to 2 million patients now with, uh, with, with the LARC AI platform um, and have just gotten contracts to, to manage, uh, you know, close to uh, 20-some million more members. Wow, that's uh, impressive. And in your guys' case, Julia, it, it was a really big turnaround, the CDC recognition. So tell us about this. Oh, yes, it was, it was, a, great, it was a great moment for us because um, the, this AI nurse, right, it, it's kind of, you know, in, in the first years, it sounded like a three-year-old and then a five-year-old. Um, and... Uh, the more we trained it with uh, with a patient's input, the smarter it got. And one day, it was so exciting. We um, shared our longitudinal data with the CDC, uh, which does um, a, you know longitudinal analysis of how your service um, compares to other uh, live nurse call centers or in-person clinics. Right. So there are twenty four hundred healthcare provider groups in the country that serve 
uh, pre-diabetics and use the CDC um, Diabetes Prevention Program um, uh, offering. Um, we, we received a letter from the director of the CDC that showed that we were getting uh, clinical equivalents and we achieved full recognition, um, which is the top 8% of clinical outcomes um, uh, you know, uh, of this 2,400 uh, provider group. Uh, so about the top 8% have achieved full recognition. So we were through the moon. Um, and so today we're the second largest DPP provider in the country. We've scaled very quickly um, and um, we, we just got contracts with uh, the largest uh, health plans to scale more. So obviously going back to the question, you know, you were talking about Binot Kosla. Now let's talk about fundraising because you've probably heard the word no many times. So, um, I mean, how many times have you were to guesstimate on how much capital have you guys raised today? Hundreds. I <laughs> heard the word no hundreds of times. And, and uh, if probably worse is the maybe and the ghosting, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, that, that's even worse for an entrepreneur because you always, uh, you know, I, I'm very optimistic. So I think, oh, maybe, maybe means maybe yes, but it usually always means no. Um, so I, uh, I, I've struggled. I, I always, uh, you know, uh, I, I've always thought that I was a really bad fundraiser and I, I've, you know, really struggled with that part of my, of my identity and career. Uh, we're, we're lucky. We we recently raised about uh, another seventy million dollars. So um, we've raised about a hundred million to date um, from VCs and uh, uh, super angels um, from from some strategics. But it's it's always a struggle. I tell you, it, you know, it, I, I've learned a lot through the years um, from those th those first days. <laughs> And, and what have you learned? I mean, what is the key lesson that you've learned on fundraising? Fundraising, I honestly, I, I think that it's resilience. Um, I think that fundraising makes you feel so bad about yourself sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> because yeah. you, you, you have this dream and... Um, constantly people who are, you know, uh, uh, smarter, you know, more experienced than you tell you that it's, it's not good enough. And, um, and, and it just, you know, you kind of, um, it, you kind of, uh, second guess yourself. You think, um, you know, is, is this really uh, the right path? Um, one of the difficulties in the relationship between, uh, entrepreneurs and um, VCs is that VCs cannot give you too much real feedback, like really hard feedback, because, um, you know, imagine if you're Mark Zuckerberg and uh, they don't know how you take feedback. And let's say they told you that Facebook was a stupid idea. Um, well, it, in, and, and here are the reasons why. And then in the next round, like they would never be able to get into your round. Um, and so, I understand why VCs um, often cannot give very, um, you know, unfiltered feedback. But as a result, you're you're sort of left in the dark 
of like, what did I do wrong? What's not good enough? And um, it, it's tough. I, I think it's um, uh, resilience is the one thing that I would tell entrepreneurs. Um, it, it's to manage your own emotions and keep on getting back up. Yeah, absolutely. So, so just for the people that are listening to get an idea of the size of Lark today, I mean, anything that you can share in terms of maybe number of employees or anything else that is interesting? <laughs> sure. So we always uh, cheekily joke that if we had live nurses, um, we would have around 14,800 live nurses because <laughs> wow. we have millions of text messages going back and forth, um, wow. you know, some patients. Uh, but that, that's just a jokey, uh, a jokey way of answering it. Yeah. Uh, our team is a very large, um, largely um, a tech, uh, you know, data, AI uh, product um, engineers. So, so we've got, um, we've got close to a little bit more than a hundred now, but we're scaling pretty quickly. That's amazing. Uh, and uh, in, in, in one of the things that I wanted to ask you here, I mean, obviously, now, especially with COVID, you know, it's interesting how before all the healthcare-related stuff, you know, it was just like uh, there on the background. But now you see on the press, on the front pages of uh, magazines and newspapers nowadays, is doctors and nurses really on the front page. So, so I guess obviously now it's you guys are going to be able to write this trend too. And and I'm wondering where do you see Lark maybe in in five years from now? If if let's say if you were to to sleep tonight and wake up in a world where the vision of, of the company is fully realized? That's a, that's a great question. I, I think that COVID obviously has been tragic for so many reasons, um, as we were just talking about. And it's the one thing that I think COVID has done um, is more than any time in our lifetime, this is going to be the largest shift into the future of care. And, and what I mean by that is telehealth, virtual care will become huge parts of the future of healthcare, rather than this fringe, um, you know, kind of thing on the side. As we see it, um, you know, the, the, the world will be kind of reshaped because of, um, because of COVID. And we're super excited about uh, how we can contribute. Right now, chronic conditions are costing the entire healthcare system, um, you know, three and a half trillion dollars a year. That's 86% of all healthcare costs. And that's because the healthcare system is built for infectious diseases. It's built for um, acute conditions. So I know we're going to get through COVID, but the epidemic of chronic conditions is going to be is going to survive as long as there are not enough doctors and nurses and there will never be enough doctors and nurses because this is a high touch lifelong condition that so many people have so um i'll get off my pedestal now how 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 does lark contribute to that we believe that you know ai is necessary um, because there needs to be a scalable technology that you know gives the care um at, of of a nurse, um, but but can do it, you know, at 1 a.m. at night when you're stressed, um, can do it, you know, the moment we see um, from your blood pressure cuff or your glucometer that uh, you are trending in, in the wrong direction. 
Um, and so, uh, so for me, uh, what would be idealistically uh, my vision is in five years, um, you know, anyone in uh, in 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 the world globally that needs uh, chronic care um, can uh, can get it for free, and um, they can get it anytime they want. Um, and so that requires us to provide. Um, you know, scalable chronic care, um, you know, and work with uh, the, the, the health plans um, to, to really provide this type of care uh, to, to anyone. So um, I, I see a world where we are the first line of defense um, and then, you know, things that really matter, we escalate to, uh, to the live nurse, the live doctor to, to, so that they can work at the top of their license with the with the data that they need to make the right decisions at the right time for these patients, uh, but that the day to day care um, is done um, with uh, you know with technology that can be scaled and and can be much cheaper than than humans. That's amazing. And and one of the questions that um, that Julia I typically ask the guests that come on the show is if you had the opportunity to go back in time and have a chat with that younger Julia, maybe that younger Julia that was coming out of Stanford and, and thinking about launching something. What would be that one piece of business advice that you would give to your younger self and why, given what you know now? Oh boy, that's a hard one. Um, I, I would tell my younger self that it's a roller coaster and that it's a it's a, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, and in fact, actually I did have an amazing mentor. She, she's, uh, still on our board. She is the, um, uh, Whaley Dye. She is the, uh, I think from a, from a background perspective, she's the uh, richest self-made female Asian entrepreneur in the U S um, and she started her own company, Marvell, and grew it to 10,000 people. And she told me, um, Julia, you have to be ready. Um, you have to be ready to do something that makes you excited uh, and willing to put everything aside from your life um, for the next 15 years. Because this is, this is you know, the, the path of an entrepreneur. And if you're not ready to make those sacrifices, you know, don't do it. And I remember thinking, that is so crazy, you know, 15 years. I mean, I mean, like everyone in, you know, in Silicon Valley talks about four years, right? Like that, that's how vesting works. And, and um, I still remember that. And I, I, I just, I'm so thankful that she kind of reframed um, the importance of, uh, you know, persistence and resilience and, um, you know, real commitment to your vision. I love it. And Julia, for the folks that are listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi? <laughs> um, I am um, Juliet Lark, um, and you can find me on Twitter, uh, Julia, who CEO, um, lark.com is where we are uh, 
growing the team. So if you want to join us, um, lark.com, there's a jobs apply sec section. We'd love to work with entrepreneurs. Or Amazing. Partners. Well, Julia, love it. There you go. Collaboration left and right. The way to go. Well, Julia, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Thank you, Alejandro. It was so fun. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the Dealmakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to alejandrocremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.